0: Okay, everybody, welcome to our next uh, session on the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer after reading our articles today. They're going to be 1.2 and 1.3. So if you don't have a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith, you can just Google it. Or if you are in the church chat, you should have received uh, a PDF file. And you can Wait. just access that. Wait, church yeah, you should have received the uh, Confession of Faith PDF. Oh, my, 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 the PDF so, uh, yeah, if you have it, any version is fine—modern and/or old English. If you prefer the modern, it's a little bit easier to understand, but uh, either or should be pretty understandable. Okay, so let's turn to Article One Point Two, Chapter One, Article One Point Two and One Point Three. I'll read it, or actually, let's have a couple people read it. So let's have one person read One Point Two another 1.3 and then we'll pray and we'll begin today uh, anyone who's got it just maybe raise your hand anyone got 1.2 ready to go just to read I'm not asking for interpretation but just reading it any non-shy people ready to read <laughs> 1.2 1.2 1.2 so if you remember 1.1 we dealt with uh, of the Holy Scripture and we dealt with uh, general and special revelation. We talked about the inadequacy sufficiency of general revelation. Or so the adequacy and insufficiency of general revelation. And the full adequacy and sufficiency of special revelation. In, uh, in terms of what it is intending to reveal. And we looked at some of those things. Today we're looking at 1.2, 1.3. Who's got it? 1.2. What do you mean 1.2? <laughs> Chapter, one, Chapter 1, point number 2. It's it's literally written as 1.2. <laughs> it should be anyways. I don't know if the PDF does that actually. It begins with under the name of. Under the name of Holy Scripture of the Word of God written. or now contain all the books of the Old and New Testament. Which are these? You don't have to read all 66 book titles. I assume uh, all of you are somewhat familiar with the 66 books. Uh... I might give out a little WCF booklet for those who can memorize all 60 <F1> all 66 book titles. <laughs> if you can uh, memorize all of them in order, I would be quite, you know, that'd be cool. Anyways, uh, 1.3, who has that? Anyone got 1.3. Yeah. 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 Books commonly called a pontipha, not being of divine inspiration are no part of the canon of the scripture and therefore are of no authority. To be any otherwise approved or made use of other uh, than other human writings. Okay, so 1.2. Sorry, we didn't read the last part of it, but after listing 66 books, it reads, All which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. It's going to be a really important statement. We're going to get there. Uh, but yes, that's point number, or so that's article 1.2 and 1.3. So today, what we're looking at is the canon of searcher. So the 66 books of the, of the Bible that we believe. And then 1.3 deals with the Apocrypha and other such books that are not canon but are useful for certain things. So just like with general revelation where it was useful for something but insufficient in another area, we will find that the scripture as special revelation is the only uh, means by which we can get that special revelation. And everything else, although may be godly and may be true in its content, is in Sufficient in being able to uh, operate on the level or on the function of what Scripture can. And we'll talk about what we mean by that and uh, why Christians ought to believe this and why it's important we believe this. Okay, Let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Uh, we thank you for the gathering. I know it's a little hot in this room, so maybe we can just help us out to uh, not be so distracted by that and just be able to um, focus on what the content of today's lesson is, as well as what we read in 1.2, 1.3. May we be able to learn from the teaching of the divine. So we thank you so much. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So I want to just remind you once again we are going through the WCF, but it is not Holy Scripture, right? So although the WCF is a wonderful uh, tool for us to learn and gain from, it is by no means the Bible itself. It's not meant to supersede Scripture, it's not meant to, you know, replace the authority of scripture in your life, Um, and what we read today is really going to be, is going to articulate that better than I can, so let's uh, look at 1.2, we see, of course, uh, a couple statements here, so it says, under the name of holy scripture, so the Bible, right, Uh, Bible, right, that word, it essentially just stems from the Greek and Latin, just meaning, like, book, it just means book, it's the holy book, Okay, or the written word of God, it's important that it's written, and it's important that it's the word of God, are all the books of the Old and New Testaments. Namely, before we get there, remember I gave you historical context in terms of when the WCF was written? Um, at the time of its writing, the Church of England was, uh, and still I think continues to in some parts of the church, of, of the Anglican Church, Uh, But mainly today, only the Roman Catholic Church. Anyone have a Catholic background, by any chance? No one? Because that would have been really helpful. But, okay, so Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox Christians. Anyone in the Eastern Orthodox tradition? So that's like Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, uh, the Coptic Christians, etc., etc., etc. These groups still continue to have and contain the Apocrypha, as part of uh, their concept of the Bible, right? So in their Bible, they'll have the six, the Old and New Testament, 66 books, plus the Apocrypha. We'll talk about what that is when we get to 1.3. Um, but at the time that this was written, the Church of England had the Apocrypha because they had reformed from the Roman Catholic Church. They still had the Apocrypha in their Bibles. Martin Luther famously still had the Apocrypha in his Bible. Uh, But that doesn't mean just Martin Luther had it doesn't mean it was correct, right? So basically the divines got together and they were like this this right here this apocrypha thing It's not meant to be in the Bible. It's not inspired Word of God It, It doesn't it doesn't fit with the other 66 books and there's a reason why they decided that and so that's why they list These all of the books that are meant to be in Scripture in its order. Okay so Uh, it's the written word of God holy scripture minus the apocrypha are all the books of the old and new testaments namely quickly without counting how many books in the old testament first hand go old testament old testament how many who said that who said that Teresa Teresa, good job Uh, 39 meaning how many in the new testament I need hands I need hands 27 27 Correct. <laughs> it would have been nice if someone answered it quickly. Uh, Old Testament has thirty nine books. New Testament has twenty seven. Um, in your groups today, uh, what I want you to discuss before we even move on and discuss some of the content of this of these things is I just want to share like a little bit of a personal personal stories, right? Whether you grew up in the church or not, or maybe you're completely new to the faith, and if you are, you don't have to share anything. You can just sit and listen. But those of you who have grown up in the faith and or are, are believers and have, you know, some sort of experience in reading scripture, I want you to share with one another uh, how scripture has helped shape your life, how scripture has benefited you, what things you've learned from the Bible, not everything just one thing just pinpoint like one maybe maximum two things if someone's like rambling on just be like sorry max said you're rambling on so you can't continue anymore but literally you have like 10 15 maybe like 20 seconds at most just share a quick thought something somehow some way scripture has helped shape mold teach and benefit your life and if you have a specific passage that comes to mind uh, for me, for example, in some of my most in the most difficult time of life, Second Samuel twenty two twenty nine, you O Lord of the lamp, are you O Lord, are my lamp? You turn my darkness into light. Was a verse that really helped me uh, to just kind of look at life a little bit differently, and maybe I can share that in the future. But stuff like that, just share a quick thought or idea. Um, this has nothing to do per se with uh, the content of what we're going to learn about one point two, but I think it'd be nice for at least Christians uh, to share with one another the benefit of Scripture in your life. Okay. So I'll give you a few minutes to do that, and then we'll reconvene. So maybe like five, eight minutes, right? And then once everyone seems to be done, we'll wrap it up, and then uh, we'll, get, we'll reconvene and learn on 1.2. So go ahead. Uh, leaders in your group, if you think you're a leader, go ahead first. Everyone done? Fantastic. Okay. So hopefully um, you have heard some at least snippets of... And stories and testimonies of how Scripture has helped to shape and mold, like the life of the believer. At the very end of one point two, it says, "All which are given, all meaning the canon, by inspiration of God, to be the rule of faith and life." And we'll talk a little bit about uh, a little bit later about what that means, why it is the rule of faith and of life. Right? Uh, let's go into one point two. So have it open with you, and we're going to go word for word. If you have the Old English, I'll read both, the Modern and the Old, or the Historic Text, and uh, follow along with me. There's a couple of descriptors that are given to us in regards to Scripture that we need to understand, and then we will understand uh, exactly what the divines were trying to convey. So 1.2, under the name of Holy Scripture, pause, what is the descriptor of the Bible there? What is it? Just say it confidently. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, man, this is, this is like elementary oh, class. <laughs> what is the adjective given to Scripture in that opening phrase? Under the name of holy Scripture. It's holy, right? Okay. It's holy. Everyone's doubting themselves right now. I love it. Uh, yes, the descriptor given to us of the Bible is that it is holy, that it's holy Scripture. It's not just Scripture. It's not just script. It's not just text, but that it's Holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. Set apart. Right? When we talk about the holiness of God or being holy, that we are made holy, right? It means to be like made righteous and all these things. But the term itself, by definition, means to be set apart. What is scripture? In what sense is it being set apart? Set apart from What? The world, but in what sense? Give me the specific use of this term because if someone's going to deem the Bible this is the holy Bible, it's the holy scripture. Uh, if I say, you know, we are trying to be holy, set apart, right? When we ask God to make us holy and we're asking to be set apart, we're, we're asking to be set apart from something. When we're asking to be set apart in our holiness, we're asking to be set apart from what the sinfulness, sinfulness, sorry, of the world, like of the flesh. Like to be different from the world, right? So then, when scripture is holy, what is it being set apart from? (laughs) Read your Bible. (laughs) Sure, but that's still in reference to us. The Bible, how is it holy? How is it set apart? Scripture? It's set apart because it's the only text directly inspired by God. Yes. So it's being set apart from? Uninspired. Yes. Other texts. <laughs> right? Non biblical texts, non canonical texts, okay? Yeah, everyone's overthinking. Under the name of Holy Scripture, so it's set apart. By whom? Obviously, God, guys, this is elementary stuff. Nothing's going to be complicated here. The divines are not trying to trick you, right? The divines are not trying to be overly complicated. What they're trying to do is just make everything about your faith as clear as possible. So nothing here is like trying to like, oh, this must be like some trick pastoral theological question, right? Nothing is like that. Everything in these statements, whatever immediately comes to your mind is likely the correct answer. So just shout it out okay uh, under the name of set apart scripture by God or they say there's another way we can describe scripture what's the second way they describe it the word of God, word of God that would be scripture what's that word right before it what's the word right before word Uh oh sorry <laughs> Sorry, in the Old English, it would be the word right after God. Written. Written. Holy. So it's the word of God written. The is a a good word though. Uh, But yes, under the name of Holy Scripture or the word of God written. Okay. Why would the divines explicitly describe Scripture in this way? That it is the word of God written. Any thoughts? Anyone? Any thoughts? Why would they specifically write this down? Remember, at this point, there's no YouTube, there's no internet, there's no videography, there's no, like, other things, there's no Bible project on YouTube. Why would it be that they have to specify under the name of Holy Scripture, comma, or the Word of God written? Why would they make sure that's described that way? So there's there's no, like, subjectivity? Uh, objective fine print writing. Okay. So there's no like evidence. I don't know if evidence is the word, but okay. Help me out here. <laughs> 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 Yes, right? Because what they're going to follow this statement with is, are all the books of the Old and New Testament mainly, which are given by inspiration. We're going to get there. But the reason I think that they specify that this is the written word of God is to say that this is it. This is canon. Nothing else apart from these things that have been written down for you can be considered biblical. Can be considered the holy scripture. What is written from Genesis to Revelation is the it is is it. That is what you have. Right? The 66 books, and that's it. That is the complete canon. So let's talk about canon, because this is where a lot of people are gonna debate some art and argue. And I'm gonna give you some counter arguments and play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Um, and maybe like challenge you on your belief in scripture. I know some of you take it maybe like university courses on the authenticity of scripture and it's a lot of bogus stuff. There's a lot of debate in the literary world, but it really depends again on perspective on how you look at these things. I'll give you some reasons why I think you can have absolute faith in the authenticity of scripture and namely its preservation from its original manuscripts. Okay. 66 books of the Old Testament. Uh, We have countless, like not countless, but we have Thousands of manuscripts on the Old Testament Because of course it's a Judeo-Christian documentation So you have Jewish uh, uh, scribes who had preserved the Old Testament As well as later on Christian scribes as well Who were preserving the Old and the New Testament So you have a wealth, a wealth, like a treasure trove Of documentation across thousands of years um, Of preservation of the Old Testament now, do we know how these 39 books were chosen? We do not. So the 39 books of the Old Testament, we have no idea at what point in history or how these books were chosen by what council, or what minds, or who decided which book would be the case. We do know that it was likely King Hezekiah who first began the, uh, the, uh, the written or the writing of the Old Testament as he, of course, talks about those things. We have in Chronicles and other books mentioning Uh, write it into the books of this and that and they mention these things like documentation of some of these prophecies and etc Moses himself likely you know historians will argue but Moses himself likely did not sit down and write right you know the first five books of the Old Testament it was probably preserved later but initially transitioned or was uh, transferred orally so they were sharing these things orally and in your opinion you might go well is that even reliable because like when I share a story and he goes off and tells someone else like The story kind of changes, right? And the details are lost, right? Uh, But that's not in the writing God inspired that when it was actually preserved in written word, right? Not the orally spoken part. But God obviously worked through, if you're going to believe that God is all powerful, He worked through that entire process. What's important here is in the writing down and preservation of God's word, when upon its actual record, it was exactly the way the Holy Spirit had inspired and wanted it to be recorded. In the oral transmission, why you can trust this is this. Today, we are so incapable in our minds of, like, sharing things orally and memorizing them word for word. Our minds are just not, they just don't work that way. And you might think, well, have we changed so much that back in the day they were able to do this? We have. Today, we're distracted by visual, right? A lot of us are visual learners now because we're so used to seeing moving objects and moving images to convey information. But back in the day, it was all written word. And before written word and languages were actually like alphabetized and everything, uh, and grammar was structured and all that stuff, everything was just written, Was everything was just orally transmission uh, tra- uh, transferred. And so everybody memorized these things orally, and they would memorize them very specifically and very thoroughly. Now you might think, well, that's, well, that's crazy. I can't believe, like, are you saying that our devices, the internet, and all these things, and YouTube and et cetera, have shifted our minds that much? I don't believe it. You have a very recent example of this. How many of you can memorize your friends' phone numbers? I dare not say this, but how many of you know the phone number of your partner? 647 2675. <laughs> 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 Six, four, seven. Case in point. So, here's the reason we don't do that. You no longer need to do that. Why? Because your phones memorize it for you. All you have to do is memorize your friend's name. You put it in your phone, and all you have to do now is click it. But when I was a kid, and I'm 34, right? When I was a kid, I had a phone, literally, where you have to go, tsh, like, you have to rotate a little circle, and then it goes back, and then you go to the next number, and you rotate it, it goes, it sounds archaic, right? But this is the kind of technology that I was dealing I, with when I was a kid. I, 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 I talked about- no, not even flip phones. Flip phones are high-tech by the time I was in high school. I'm talking about like really old-school corded phones, right? And these phones, there's no way it could save anyone's phone number. There's no speed dial, there's no address book in there. I literally had to memorize all of, my, all of the phone numbers. My home, uh, my work, I didn't work back then, but like my mom's work, uh, my, wherever my dad worked. I had to memorize everything, right? When I was in high school, I knew every single one of my friends' phone numbers. Or you just write them down? Well, I never wrote them down because I was capable of memorizing it until Steve Jobs and his dang iPhone came out. Or actually, it was Blackberry. Blackberry came out with their little, you know, whatever thing. And it just changed the world. It's like, oh, I don't have to memorize this anymore. And back in the day, people would shift numbers. Like nowadays, you can just, you know, transfer your number to another uh, carrier and it's fine, right? Back in the day, you just from Rogers to tell us you guys change your phone number, right? You guys remember those days? So constantly people were changing number, and then you have text everyone's like new number, save save this, right? Like everyone used to do that, and I had to memorize these numbers because of all of these things, and I was capable of it. I bet you back in my high school days, I had like at least 50, 50 phone numbers memorized. I cannot do that now. You cannot do that. Now. Why? You're so used to not doing it. It's amazing what technology will do to you. It's also amazing how much, like as the world changed your brain, like it's operative, like what it is capable of. You're no longer accessing that and training that muscle. And so it just feels like it's impossible now. When I was a kid, we asked, I, uh, my dad used to make me memorize Bible verses in order to eat. I know it sounds like inhumane, but it was just to like build up that training in me, and I used to be able to do it. If he did that to me now, I don't know if I could do it. I'm so used to just searching up like Google like oh where what Bible verse, blah blah blah, and you search it up. I don't memorize scripture anymore as much as I used to, but doesn't mean we're incapable. I told you a little bit about when Jesus was growing up in his old testament in his New Testament time, sorry. And in that world that Jesus was growing up, little boys, literally like from ages 5 to about four, 13, 14, they would memorize Old Testament books. The elite of elites, by the time they're 11, they would have had memorized all five, first five books of the Old Testament from Genesis to Leviticus. Oh, sorry, Numbers. Is it Numbers? Yeah, first five books, right? So that's Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus and Numbers. How many of you have even read those first five books? <laughs> okay, you don't have to actually raise your hand. But think about that. They would have that memorized in Hebrew. And I study Hebrew, and it's a pain in the butt, right? They would have it memorized. Think about that. It's amazing how uh, human beings were able to change with these... Because their entertainment back then, like nowadays we're like, oh, you watched Doctor Strange? Like this is what happened in the movie. You could recount like an entire scene. In the same way back then, the entertainment was the stories that people were sharing. And so you wonder why Genesis 1 is so fluid in its, in its oral transmission. It's like in the first day, God created and it was good. He said, let there be and it was good. And it's a storytelling element and flow from Genesis onward, right? And that's how the word was preserved until later on when the Hebrew alphabet is developed and other things, they go, let's write it down. Let's document these things. And the Holy Spirit inspires them to preserve those stories and those narratives into scripture. The question you have to ask is, well, if we don't know uh, when these books were written and or exactly who or what or how, this whole process of canonization of the Old Testament, the 39 books was put together, how can we trust it? If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, and if you're a believer of the New Testament, Jesus comes and what does he do? He begins to quote the Old Testament. He begins to use Old Testament as the basis of his teachings. He preaches from the Old Testament. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He reads and teaches and he tells the Pharisees, have you not read? Right? Do you still not understand? And he references the Word of God as the Word of God. So if you trust Jesus, the person in the New Testament, then his authority gives credence to the Old Testament by the time that Jesus comes. Now, your post question is now the 27 books of the New Testament. Well then, if Jesus only relied on the Old Testament, why then do we need the New Testament? And the New New Testament canonization came into process in what we call the Apostolic Era. So the Apostolic Era uh, is essentially the first century of the church in its establishment, when the apostles first established the Church of Jesus Christ. And in its establishment, they recognized very quickly that a lot of things were being written and recorded, and a lot of these things Appeared as we read in, for example, uh, later on. We're going to read from uh, First Timothy or Second Timothy three sixteen, right? Where the scriptures God breathed, and so the apostles and other people in the churches and authorities started recognizing this is this has some different sense of authority to it, and they started talking about the canonization of the New Testament. This only happens though at its uh, as far as we know, earliest the seventh century, so six hundred years later. Uh, after Jesus Christ, we see the first historical record and reference to the canonized 27 books of the New Testament. And that, in, in our sense, we go, 600 years? That's so long. In historical sense, that's really short. It's really, really, really short. But here's the thing. You might say, well, oh, that's crazy because then they probably just took everything Paul and Peter wrote and they just thought it was canon. No. There are letters and texts and writings omitted written by Paul, written by Peter, written by these people that were omitted from the canon. Why? There were three standards um, that we could find uh, and we assume uh, that were part of the canonization process. And you can research all of this stuff. It's really fascinating. But The three standards basically is the apostolic tradition. So was it written by an apostle, inspired by, or directly under the authority of an apostle? Right? So that had to be one. Another, two, another thing was theologically, did it make sense? Did it align with everything that's being taught In the apostolic tradition as well as the Old Testament, does it align? So theologically, does it make sense? And then third, it just had to do with the recognition of the other churches of this text being universally preached. So Paul wrote other letters to the Corinthians, but only two were preserved as canon. Why? The other letters were so specific to the context and, and usage of the Corinthian church, it just wasn't relevant universally to the rest of the church. It wasn't considered a letter that ought to be uh, read aloud to other churches, whereas what we have in the Bible is universally, not only at its time, but for all of time, relevant and important for the church to learn. Revelation is a special case where Jesus himself tells John, pen this down, take out your, you know, whatever feather ink thing and write it down. This is important for you to record. And that's what we get. We have other Gospels written by other people. You've probably famously heard of the Gospel of Thomas or like other things, right? Those were not canonized for multiple reasons. But all of the 27 books in the New Testament had to go through that filtration process in order for it to be received as canon in the New Testament era. Does that make sense? So that's canon. I and mean, may go, oh, I mean, if we don't have the original documents, Right, So the original, original documents of the, old, of the Old and New Testament How can we trust that in the process of manuscript preservation So that means someone is citing down a scribe And copying by hand the text of the Old and New Testament How can we trust that these things were preserved, right? Um, an element of this is trust But another element of this is uh, looking at text in a very specific You can look at it two ways You can go, well yeah, there's probably human error in that Here's the crazy thing about literary science and you know, the modern technology that we have at our disposal, we're able to trace those mistakes and eliminate all of the manuscripts that flow out of those mistakes. Right? So it just works like this, if you have you know original document number one and then you have three copies of it, let's say one person wrote one word wrong, everything that follows from that, we can trace it back to that manuscript and go, oh, everything that falls from this tree Is wrong, and we just eliminate it, and we still have tens of thousands of manuscripts. It's the only document of its kind of its time. I gave just this example just a few weeks ago. Uh, Everyone familiar with the Odyssey, written by Homer? It's like written in the Greco Roman period, it's one of the most well preserved historical documents uh, of its time, written in the Greek language, the same Koine Greek of the New Testament. This document is considered by historians to be uh, the of, of all of the documents of its era probably the most well-preserved document uh, historically uh, for its time and there are about i would say 70 something odd manuscripts of this book right and we consider it one of the best preserved why because the earliest manuscripts of homer's odyssey is really close to its time period and it's just a couple hundred years off so that's, historically that's really really good um, and it was just like scribe after scribe after scribe really preserved it well 70 some odd manuscripts. That's pretty good. Well, like that's considered in historical terms and literary science terms, like really well preserved. The New Testament, over 14,000 manuscripts of the New Testament today. And we could trace every mistake ever written across the board. And we can get rid of all of those things. And we still have thousands of manuscripts. The Dead Sea, you know how I just said a couple hundred years after Homer? The Gospel of Mark is now, like the earliest manuscript of be the Gospel of Mark. Within a hundred years of Jesus' lifetime, we have the Gospel of Mark mummified on somebody. Somebody mummified someone with, Bi- with the Bible. Isn't that crazy? And we were able to extract those texts, and they're within a hundred years of Jesus' lifetime. It is one of, if not the most, by historical records, the best preserved historical document of all its time. Now you might go, what about accuracy? Was it preserved accurately? within 99.878%. So less than like that's how much little error there is. And all of those errors, we can just omit all of those trees of manuscripts. It's kind of crazy to think about. So preservation really is not our issue. It's do you believe that it is authentically the word of God? And that's what the divines are concerned are concerned about. It's written word of God. God has preserved it in written form. And I think the divines wanted to make sure even in the future when maybe they were imagining technology to overtake our minds, that we would consistently and continuously read the written word of God. That no video or photograph would ever supersede the authority of the written word of God. And all of them are these 66 books. Final sentence. All which are given by inspiration. Just an open question, open-ended question here. Inspiration. What does that tell you? Inspired by who? By God. By God. Okay. Uh, I need one person quickly to find First Timothy three sixteen, as I quoted earlier, and another person find Second Peter 1.21. Wait, one twenty one. Wait. Timothy. Second Timothy. Three sixteen, And another person finds 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 21. I, I, I can read it you got 2 Timothy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, read it. Go. Read, read, read it. Go, Katie. Okay. All right. All scriptures read out by God and profitable teach for teaching for the truth, for correction, for training, in righteousness. Okay, perfect. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 21. Who's got it? Second Peter? Or we... 2 Peter 1, 21. Sorry, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, for no problem. Right, so there's that recognition point. So in the time of the apostles, they recognized there's some inspiration going on here. Now, how they recognize that could be somewhat of a mystery to us, but in some cases, it was obvious, right? In the case of John, like literally Jesus came in a vision and said, this is, write this for the churches, the benefit of the churches. Certainly, uh, we find that this is the case in the New Testament, that the word is inspired or the actual word there is breathed out by God. Remember how he breathed life into Adam? Similar sense here. We call it theonumos. like It's literally God breathing this inspiration into men to pen these words for our, for our benefit and the reading of this word. Right. Um, but it says this, that this inspiration of God is to be the rule of faith and life. Open, open question here. What, what do you think that means? the rule of faith in life. How is it the rule of faith? How is the rule of faith? Remember special revelation, what it teaches, what it can teach, and what general revelation cannot teach. How is the rule of faith? It teaches us Personal work of Christ teaches us about salvation, teaches us about how, like who we are, like why we need to have faith. It's the rule of faith in the sense that if faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, is the way we are to be saved, it's by Scripture alone we can gain that knowledge. Now, if someone could convey that to you, be like, hey, this is what Scripture teaches, but they're still referencing the teachings of the rule of Scripture. It is by Scripture alone That faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, can be taught. Does that make sense? It is the source of that information. The source of life is Christ. The source of the information of that life in Christ is found in the Bible. How is the rule of life? We're, 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 supposed to or, we're supposed to organize our. our, 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 our it, it should our lives around the, around the scriptures. That the scriptures dictate how we should live. Yes, it dictates how a person ought to live. And what's its specific concern? Your moral life. This is not, uh, a con- I'm not condemning anyone for this. If you do this, it's fine. It's, uh, I, I don't mean to say like you're living a bad life or anything like that, or you're being a very like terrible Christian or anything like that. But I do find it concerning on this, on this front. As a pastor, I'll frequently ask people, how can I pray for you? And typically those prayer topics are centered around what? Circumstance, career, school, Even relationship, health, finance, whatever, right? Rarely do I find people say, I'm sinning, I'm struggling in this sin. Can you pray for me? The Bible's concern is not what university you graduate from. You could ask God, God, what school should I go to? Laurier or Waterloo? Right? They're across the street from each other. Like which one should I go to? I think what God would say is just figure it out. <laughs> like, there's no morally wrong answer there. Right? You have opportunity to choose between like I've given you the common grace to be able to choose between those two things. Go ahead. But if you go to God and say, Lord, should I stop stealing? I think He would give you the answer in scripture thou shalt not steal right the rule of scripture is the rule of how you ought to live your life as a Christian not what car you drive not what clothes you wear right occupation you ought to pursue how you live your life morally by the will of God is what the Bible is concerned with we need to make that our concern that's scripture's teaching. That's right? so why I find it concerning sometimes when people, again, quote God and say, the Lord has told me that I ought to go to this job. right? I, 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 and it's not, like, it's not wrong to say that. Sorry, Andrew. It's not wrong to say that because the Lord may have actually inspired you and, and told you to go there and, and given you a purpose and will there. But is that like a transgression? Like... In those areas, like, no, I think the Bible's concern is really its primary concern is that secondarily it may be your vocation and your other things and other areas where you can operate as a Christian. That might be a secondary issue, but its primary certainly ought to be uh, our dealing with sin, our standing before the Lord, and our faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. So it is the rule of faith in Christ, it is our, the rule of our life lived in accordance with his will. And I think that's the example that Jesus gives us, right? In all the prayers he prays and the ministry it unfolds, his concern is when the paralytic is before him, is not, oh, take up your mat and walk. What's his, what's his initial statement to the, to the paralytic that is, you know, lower it down through the roof? What does he say? Your sins are forgiven. Right? That's his initial concern. Anytime he heals, what does he say? Hey, praise God, because I healed you of your blindness. No. Go, sin no more. Stop sinning. (laughs) That's its rule, right? That's that's the word of God. That's what it teaches us. Shortly and briefly as we conclude, anyone know of the Apocrypha? Anyone heard of the Apocrypha? Just raise hands if you've heard of the Apocrypha. Anyone know what Apocrypha, that term actually means? Anyone? 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 Does anybody know? It means hidden things. Okay. It was written between the Old and New Testament time period uh, by various authors. You can Google this and look at the different books that are part of the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox uh, Apocrypha. Um, and they're called, well, well they're, they're what we would call the Deuterocanonical texts. They're secondary level texts but unfortunately, in the Catholic and as, as well as the Eastern Orthodox Church, they include it in their canon. So they include it in their Bibles, right? Uh, some of your Bibles might still have the Apocrypha at the very end as sort of like an excerpt, as a reference point. It is no different, in my opinion. Uh, it's not to say that the, I've read the Apocrypha. If you've never read the Apocrypha, read your Bible first and then read the Apocrypha. But like... <laughs> so read the 66 books first. But once you re- read the Apocrypha, you'll quickly realize some of its teachings are quite um, good. They're very helpful uh, in a lot of different ways. But what is different is that they're not set apart and they're not inspired. And so the reformers immediately recognize this because there's no reference to a time period within the Old and New Testament where God was actually working to inspire people to write his word down how do we know this he went silent for 500 years that was the exile gift uh that was the exile given to israel the silence was an exile so that they would turn away from their sin so in that time period god was not inspiring people to write texts and yet it was included because later there's a very i won't give you a whole history lesson on this but the apocrypha eventually became canonical and text and included into the biblical text of the roman catholic church due to a lot of political reasons and uh, i won't go into that like sphere right now but you can google it and you can search it up it's co- it's a little bit of an interesting story it's not that great but just read an excerpt on it uh anyways it's included but we do not as protestant christians believe the apocrypha is canonical that it is inspired text of god right um, and so just please note that these are deuterocanonical texts they're secondary level texts they're supplementary Uh, very similar to how we would read like a John Piper book or like a Tim Keller book or, you know, a book by whoever, whatever reformer or Puritan that you like, Uh, you read those books, they're supplementary to the teachings of Scripture, but they're not Scripture itself. This is also not to say that any other Christian book is not beneficial, right? The Bible is the most beneficial for the rule of life, faith and life. But other books that are written, inspired by the inspired word of God, right? those books are certainly beneficial for you. That's why I keep gifting you books on your birthday, right? Because I want you to read. And I want you to read good things. And I want you to feed your souls. As much as you're reading the Bible, you know, I also want you to read good authors and good books and read them and benefit from them. That's my hope. Uh, and that's the Apocrypha. It's not canonical. The Vines recognize this. Protestants and Reformers recognize this. Any questions about anything we've discussed today before we conclude with a time of prayer with your groups? Any questions? No questions? Nothing about manuscript preservation or the authenticity of scripture or anything like that? <laughs> we good with the 66 books? Yes. I'm so excited for this question. I see it on your face. This can be like uh kind of like, I guess I need you to summarize the answer a little bit, but sure. a lot of the Muslims, they believe oh, yes. their um, manuscript has been never changed. So how does that work? Like I heard that Sorry the the Quran? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Quran right. has never been changed. Okay. yeah yep. changed You guys have our uh, Christians have many different variations of the Bible. That's yeah. why it must also how do you uh, real quick? Sure. So the Quran um is considered preserved because it's never altered in language, whereas the Bible in its three original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek have been translated, so Muslims have trouble believing in that translation process. They also have trouble believing uh, what they call the Injil, the New Testament, was preserved because they believe that later on for political reasons, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, that it was altered to basically supplement some of the political agendas that existed existed within the Roman Empire. And so there was a lot of hesitation uh, from the Muslim community, even though the Quran clearly teaches that you ought to believe both the Torah and the Injil in order to fully understand the Quran. Um, that's disregarded because of its alteration so here's all you need to say to a Muslim who gives you this claim two things do you believe Allah is all powerful and all knowing they're gonna say yes if they don't they're not Muslim so if they do believe that Allah is all powerful and all knowing this is all you have to say that is he not all powerful and all knowing enough to control and manipulate human beings in time to make sure his word is preserved like what God would allow his word to just be altered by people Right? That's all you got to say. They're arguing that it hasn't been altered. They're arguing it has been altered in terms, in terms of the New Testament. Yeah. I'll get to the Quran. Yeah, yeah. So that's all you have to say. So you say, well, I believe in the same thing. My God, the Christian God, is all powerful and all knowing. I believe he has preserved the New Testament and the Old Testament exactly the way that he wanted to. Okay? The second thing you can say is, if you, okay, fine, let's go off the assumption and hypothesis that the New Testament has been altered. By whom, when, and how? That's all you need to ask. Yeah, just ask, how was the Bible art altered? When was it altered? By whom was it altered? There's no answer to that question. There's a lot of reasons why there's no answer. Because in order for you to, in the time of the New Testament and onward, in the Roman Empire, if you know the map, I know Joey knows the map very well, in the Roman Empire, uh, in order to alter Scripture, you would have to literally travel to every single major city of the Roman Empire and destroy and replace the destroyed Old and New Testament with brand new manuscripts of whatever alteration you are making. right? So you would have to buy foot. There's no car, there's no plane, there's no nothing. You would have to be committed to life and death to do this. Not only that, parchment was one of the most expensive things you could purchase during that time. It's animal so skin. A Christian, Muslim, it doesn't matter. Muslims didn't exist at this time. But uh, whatever person you are, you just want to change the Bible for some reason, you would literally have to travel every single major city that has copies of the Old and New Testament. And you would have to alter all of them and burn and replace all of those manuscripts. On top of that, you have to travel to every Jewish town and alter every single Old Testament that exists out there as well. You would have to do this by foot or by cart or by horse or whatever thing you wanna do. It would take decades to do this. And you have to trust that everyone you speak to in terms of the destruction, you would have to convince those people, first of all, to be able to destroy these things. You would then have to give them some sort of like incentive to destroy these things and then replace them with your new manuscript. And you would have to make sure they shut their mouths for all of history with no internet. So you're saying that So there is absolute. It is to say the Bible has been altered in the New Testament period, is one of the most absurd ideas you can possibly come with, right? In terms of the Quran, uh, there is a misunderstanding in the Islamic world. I've done extensive study on this. There are two, if not four, variations of the Quran in in existence today that is in rotation. Muslims will claim there is a singular version of the Quran that the actual. They believe that the Quran is in its writing, like its content, word for word, exactly the same Quran that exists next to the throne of Allah in heaven. That there's a golden copy of the Quran, and this Quran next to Allah is the exact same one that exists on earth in its Arabic form. The problem with this theory is this. There are at least two versions of the Quran in the world today. The Sunnis and Shiites, first of all, don't agree on some of these things. There's a Quran with 119, well they're called surahs, but 19 chapters, and then there's a Quran with 111, there's other ones with 113, 117. Right. So I won't get into like Islamic Quranic stuff now, maybe when I do my cult thing I'll throw Islam in there and I'll show you what it means, but like it's, it's pretty crazy. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of absurd to argue for either. Any other questions before we conclude? Yeah, weird Quranic uh, deviation there. Anyways, in your groups, I would like for you to conclude and share one thing. We talked about how the Bible is the rule of faith and the rule of life. I'd like for you to share a prayer topic with your friends in your group, how you would like for the scripture to shape and mold your faith and your life. Or maybe just one of them. Or maybe you're not really inspired right now to want scripture uh, to be that rule of faith in life. And maybe you don't have a prayer topic specifically in regards to that. Maybe you can share. Can you guys pray for me that I would want this in my life? Because here's the thing that the divines are making clear to us. It is necessary for the Christian to read the Bible. Share in your groups, please. And uh, have just one person wrap up in prayer for the rest of the group. That's it for today.